Thank you for joining us here at Life Church. It's an honor to share God's word with you today. Our prayer is that you will connect with Jesus Christ as you hear his word online. We would love to have you visit one of our upcoming gatherings. For more information, visit our website at www.lifechurchofrichmond.org or contact our church offices and we'll be happy to help you in any way that we can. Let's go now to one of our recent services where you can experience a life-giving message from God's Word. Just stand. Let's give him a praise. Aren't you glad? Anybody got that assurance here today? Come on. Hallelujah. Come on. Everybody's got a story. Aren't you glad Jesus is in your story? Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, choir. Thank you for your ministry today. Amen. Good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Good to be in the house of the Lord today. Today's a very special day. We're thankful today. We have, uh, she's not really a guest speaker, but she's a guest to many of you. Uh, We first met Lisa Thomas, uh, was it a year ago or two years ago at the ladies' conference? One year ago, uh, there was a ladies' conference that Life Church hosted here, and we met her and Everybody just fell in love with Lisa from that moment on. Her and her husband have since made Life Church their their home. For those of you who don't know her, let me tell you a little bit about her. Her life is really nothing short of a miracle. She went her words from the crack house to the state house. She served on a Senate subcommittee carrying the shame of abortion. She spiraled into drug addiction and alcohol abuse and even prostitution on the streets of Washington D.C. for many That would have been the end of the story, but not for Lisa. She entered into a 12-step recovery program. She turned her life over to God. Amen. She had found herself incarcerated before that, and once she was released, she worked diligently to overcome guilt and shame and remorse. She went on to found a nonprofit organization that provided hope and resources to disenfranchised women that were re-entering society from incarceration. She wrote a book called Overcoming Obstacles of Reentry." As a radio talk show host, Lisa continued to share resolve and rebirth and redemption. Her book, uh, This Is Your Life, Not a Dress Rehearsal, illustrates the overcoming power of steadfastness and faith. Now, she didn't ask me to say this, but there's going to be some books for sale in the lobby, and I'd love for you to check that out after service. And... Uh, and how many of you appreciate people who give their life to the work of the Lord? Amen. You can show that appreciation maybe by purchasing one of those resources. She found that a nonprofit organization was a radio talk show host. Lisa travels the country speaking at prisons and churches and rehabs and schools and businesses and corporations. And I thought, man, we need to hear her at her own church, Life Church. And uh, she's a great illustration, a 21st century illustration of 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. If anyone is in Christ, she's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Amen. So although she's not technically a guest, why don't we give one of our own, Lisa Thomas, a good warm life church welcome this morning. Amen. thank you to Pastor Buddy. Listen, I don't take it lightly that any pastor surrenders his pulpit on Sunday morning, and I mean that. Um, I I so appreciate the opportunity, I can't tell you. 
You know, first of all, y'all have to know, I am just an ordinary girl, okay? I am so ordinary, but what makes me different is that I serve an extraordinary God, baby, okay? That's what I'm talking about. He is extraordinary. And, you know, I was standing there, and I'm thinking, why is it so hard on Sunday mornings to worship God? I don't know about you all, but, you know, set me in front of a TV when, well, I'm not going to name any, t- any name because I'll get somebody mad at me, but set me in front of a TV when, when there's football on or basketball on. You know, I'll make a fool out of myself. But for some reason, when we get in this atmosphere, we start to recoil. And I just have to say, if you were where I was, you'd be doing cartwheels down the middle of this aisle right now to know what God has done in my life. And, you know, we all have giftings. I used to think I had no giftings, but here's what my gifting is. God has allowed me to remain honest and authentic. I'm not ashamed of where I came from because I'm not there anymore. See, I'm not where I want to be, but, baby, I ain't where I used to be. And that's a testimony in itself. So, so today, uh, you know, you're just going to have to deal with the fact that I'm going to be honest and I may be a little unconventional, but I have to tell you what happened in my life and how it happened and what happens and how God keeps me on this path because there's a million times every day that we can sway off. You know, last week, Pastor Buddy, you talked about life being a journey. Life is a journey. And we're supposed to enjoy that journey. We're supposed to stop and smell the roses along the way. But, you know, for me, I always thought that life was an event. Anybody else ever feel that way? That, that, that I'm going to arrive one day. That it's not going to be this continuous journey. That when I look at other people, it seems to me that they've arrived. It seems to me they got it all together. It seems to me that they're not struggling with the stuff I'm struggling with. It seems to me that they have a God that loves them. What about me? What about me? And when you look at your life as an event, trust me, you will never measure up. You'll never measure up. Because you will never attain what you think you should attain. Because God's got a whole other plan for your life. And I'm a living testimony of that. So, how many of you feel maybe that God has forgotten you? How many of you feel that possibly God is mad at you? How many of you feel that you'll never live up to expectations that other people have of you? How many of you feel inside that you're a failure? How many of you feel inside that you'll never release some of the things that keep you in spiritual bondage. Well, I would venture to guess all of us have felt that way at some time. And if not, then I'm just, my question is, then why do we need Jesus? (laughs) Because he's the way maker. He opens up the way for us to go. And look, there's nothing to be ashamed about. There's nothing to be embarrassed about. Because we have all walked that walk. Let me illustrate with a story. Once upon a time, there was a little girl, blonde, 
bright and outgoing. And every day, she would leave Our Lady of Sorrows Elementary School. She would go through the playground and across a field. And she would go over a bridge that connected two sides of a brook. One day, she stopped in the middle of this brook. And she gazed over, and she thought, if I fell in, nobody would miss me. And her second thought, which I think is even more devastating for a five-year-old little girl, is if I fell in, the world would be better off. Now, many of us have children that are five years old, right? And to imagine that they feel that their life is that disposable is heartbreaking, isn't it? I mean, how, how and why would a five-year-old feel that way? Well, you see, the battle is in our mind. This is where the battlefield lies. It's between our ears. It's not what happens out there. It's not what we do. It's not our life event. It's not what we we attain. The battlefield is in our mind. How do I know so much about this? Because I was that little girl that walked home every day and looked into the water that day and felt that if I were to be gone, that everybody's life would be easier. I've had a lot of people say, well, Lisa, why did you feel that way at such a young age? Were you, you know, were you abused? Were, were, what happened to you? Let me tell you, <laughs> you know, the enemy begins to weave webs very early in our lives. Sometimes you don't think about it until you get into it and then you reflect back. But he weaves these webs to keep us where he wants us. So it started out with me that I had these ideas that I was a bad girl. Don't ask me why. I mean, I felt that I was a bad little girl. And that day, I can remember it was like it was yesterday. And I'm 60 60 years old, and it feels sometimes like it was yesterday. But then sometimes it feels like, was that even me? But you see, this is what the enemy does. He weaves this web. So it started with that. The second thing that happened directly after that, you know, years ago you could walk home from school, okay? So y'all don't think my parents were, you know, they were negligent in any way. But, you know, many, many years ago it was not a problem. You could walk home from school and, and you were safe. So the next thing that happened to me, I'm walking home and I come across uh, a bunch of kids around a trash can. Now, I am the oldest of three brothers, and I am, I'm going to say I've got great leadership qualities. My mother used to say I was very bossy, okay? So you can take whatever one that, that works for you. So I see these kids around this trash can, and I go up, and I move them out of the way. I want to know what they're looking at. And when I looked in, I saw some pornographic pictures. And I looked, as any five-year-old child would. This was another thread in the web that Satan was weaving. Because immediately, immediately after I looked, I felt, see, you're a bad little girl. Shortly after that, a classmate of mine invited me to her house to, you know, to play. And we were downstairs playing with her toys. And her older brother, maybe 12 years old, exposed himself to me. Now, individually, these things may not be, it's, oh, all kids do that, you know, get over it. Well, when you add these things up 
and you look at what Satan was trying to do in my life, honey, he was trying to seal the deal. I need you to feel that you are a bad little girl. You see, shame is the first thing that Satan, he wove into the web to separate us from God. And shame always tries to conceal itself. It always tries to conceal itself. Because I can ask you, if there's something you're ashamed of, I will just bet you nobody knows about it. And you see, that secret, honey, that secret will kill you. You are only as sick as your secrets. Anything you keep in here that you're unwilling to share with somebody else is going to keep you in spiritual bondage. So when we talk about shame and we realize that this is the first thing that the enemy used to separate us from God, let, let's, let's go to Genesis 3, 3, 1 through 7, if you could put that up. Yeah, I love the Bible because it always supports, it always shows you, it tells you if we take time to read it. Genesis 3, 7, the serpent, we all know the story, the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we can eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. The only fruit from the tree, the only fruit from the tree in the, in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat, God said if we eat it, that we will die, even if we touch it. What did the serpent say? You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened, and as soon as you eat it, you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. Ha! Huh. The woman was convinced. Isn't it amazing how easily we can come, become convinced of things that we want? Isn't it easy? Come on, y'all. You, can, you know something? Look, I, can be, I am not going to go to the store and buy any clothes. I have made a vow. All I got to do is walk in White House Black Market and have a sale on, and I'm convinced I need what's in that store. Let's get real about it. The woman was convinced that quick. She saw that the tree was beautiful and that the fruit looked delicious. And she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and she ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. At that moment, their eyes were open and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. At that very moment, they knew They were ashamed. You know, just like Adam and Eve, I felt that shame. I wanted to go home and tell my mom what I had seen in that trash can. I wanted to tell my mom what that boy had done. But see, shame will help you conceal all of those secrets. So what played in my mind? You're a bad girl, Lisa. And when you come from that premise, you make decisions based on what you feel about yourself. So, so you know, I, I, just like Adam and Eve passed this shame on to all of their children, which we are their children, my parents grew up in a house that was basically a shame-based environment. Now, look, don't get mad at me. I'm not mad at my parents, okay? But I'm not going to walk around with my head in the sand, okay? This is the truth. This is what I have 
This is what God has shown me after many, many years of surrendering my life. Because it's been able to set me free. My, my family is free. My mother was free before she died, okay? There's nothing wrong with being honest. Honesty is what breaks that, that, that stronghold on your life. So I wanted to go home and I wanted to tell my mom, but I couldn't. And, and you know, I grew up in this environment where... I knew there was a God. We went to church on Sundays, but like I really didn't know that he, I, I actually thought he didn't like me, to be honest with you. I thought he made good people and bad people, and I just happened to be one of the bad people. And when you feel that way, you don't have a lot of um, compassion for a God like that. He was a taskmaster. He was out to get me. That's what I learned in the religion that I was brought up in. And see, here's the problem with that. When you don't know who you are in Christ, you believe every single lie that comes down the pike. Anything anybody wants to tell you, you're going to believe it. And so I became the great imposter. See, if you told me I was funny, then I would act funny. If you told me I was sexy, then I would act sexy. If you told me that, oh, you're always so loud and everybody hears you, well, guess what? I got louder. Because, see, I didn't know who I was. So I was going to adapt myself to people so that you would love me. And we know that that just never works. That our love has to come from the Lord. And when that love comes in, then it goes out to other people. See, I always felt like if you found out what I was really like, you'd run as far away from me as you possibly could. When you found out the bad little girl I was, the girl who wanted to throw herself in that water, the girl who looked at those pictures, the girl who saw that boy, that you would run as far away from me as possible. And that was just implanted into my thinking. Now, how many of you know when you've got these negative thoughts and you've got this stuff coming at you, you're going to find an escape mechanism, right? I mean, it's, it's, you know, when you put water in a water balloon, you can squeeze it, squeeze it, squeeze it, and eventually it's going to pop, right? So you start to find something that you can use that's going to help you deal and cope with your life. Now, I tell you what, today, sometimes I can throw down six Dunkin' Donuts, and I love them. Cream-filled, big cup of coffee. When I'm feeling anxious, and I don't want to go to God, and I don't want to hear what he has to say, let me just make a pit stop. I know none of y'all do that, okay? I'm just talking to me. I'm just talking to me, all right? Because, see, we're always looking for something on the outside to cure that thing that's going on on the inside, aren't we? I'm not pretty enough. I'm not, I'm not smart enough. I, I'm not strong enough. I, and if we keep living that way, we will never have any peace. So I start looking for validity wherever I could find it. I started drinking at age 13. I should have known I was going to have a problem when the first time I drank, I didn't drink one bottle, not two bottles, but three bottles of Boone's Farm Strawberry Hill wine, if you really want to call that wine. But anyway, well, that's another subject. But I'm, I'm serious. I knew instinctively that one bottle of wine was not going to be enough to take away the, the feelings I had inside of me. I knew that. And I have to tell you, when I drank that wine... And that alcohol hit my system, baby. I was free. 
I was six foot tall and bulletproof. There was nothing you could do or say that was going to change how I felt about myself at that moment. Until about an hour later when I got sick and I felt the effects of those three bottles of wine. But you see, that feeling, that feeling was what I was looking for. That escape is what I was looking for. And you know what, you, you young people, listen, I, I feel for y'all, I'm telling you, because it comes at you from every single angle. And I have to tell you, you are important. And the Lord loves you just the way you are. It's hard to believe that now, but I'll tell you, you tell yourself that every day in the mirror and you'll start building some strong spiritual ground. So I began smoking pot, and I began having sex at age 14. You see, I gave away one of the most precious things that God gave me, like a stick of gum. Because I thought, if I gave you what you wanted, that you would love me. I thought that I would be accepted. I thought that maybe I wouldn't be thought of as a bad girl, but that you would adore me and love me. And that was the furthest thing from the truth. At 19, I found myself in an unwanted pregnancy. Now, you got to remember, I told you I'm 60 years old. 19 was the 70s, and it was part of the women's movement. And I tell you, when they say history repeats itself, Pastor, oh, my gosh. We're seeing it right now. But, you know, it was new concepts and new philosophies and everything. All these new ideas were being created, you know. The women's movement believed that that, uh, all paths led to, to deeper fulfillment, that sex, alcohol, illegal drugs, they were all justified. I mean, you know, I am woman, hear me roar, baby. I can bring home the bacon, fry it up in the pan for those of you that are my age. I mean, it was a constant push. Did we hear it everywhere? See, and it's coming right back around to where it was. So here I am. I'm, I'm, you know, I am woman. Hear me roar. That led me right into an abortion clinic. See, there were no sonograms. There, there, there were no ultrasounds. And I was convinced by what I heard and what people were telling me that it was just a clump of cells, and that my life would be much easier, and that it would be much more convenient if I were to just eliminate it. And I want to tell you something. That is when my life really started to spin out of control. You see, abortion steals the very thing that God gave us as women, the very power that he gave us as women, and that's to nurture, and that's to birth. And when we have an abortion, we literally rip that from our body, and we can spend decades, decades, wondering why we feel the way that we do. Well, see, I had already found my coping mechanism, so I was okay. I didn't know what y'all were talking about. I was okay. Over the next several years, things got a lot worse. Oh, they always get worse. Don't even fool yourself to think that they don't. Because you might be doing okay now, but baby, I'm telling you, they always get worse. The need to escape became greater. See, I couldn't escape with a bottle of wine or you know, a joint. I mean, that took the edge off. 
But see, all the stuff that was going on in my life, all the stuff that the enemy was doing inside of me, I needed something to take me out of me. So that is when I tried crack cocaine. And I'm going to tell you, it's the worst thing that ever happened to me, but it's also the best thing. And you'll understand when I get through this. I did anything for that drug. I did anything for it. I had two attempted suicides. Because, see, when you, when you use drugs like that, you've got to come off of it. You can't, you know, to smoke crack or to shoot dope, you have to have a place Am I, am I okay talking about this and being honest with y'all? I mean, I'm just wondering. Because, see, nobody wants to talk about this. And if we don't talk about this in the church, where are people getting their information from? God wants to set you free. He doesn't want to see you in bondage. He doesn't want to see you in bondage. He doesn't want to see you in bondage to pornography or to food or to sex or to alcohol or weed or anything. He wants all of you. See, but my life was at the point where I needed something to literally annihilate my feelings. I couldn't feel any of my feelings because it would make me crazy. Suicide attempts. I ended up in the mental ward. I was in a physically violent domestic violence relationship. I got beat regularly for years. And the reason I accepted that is because that man chased drugs and alcohol the same way I did. You see, you got to be careful. People, places, and things, you got to be careful where you go and who you hang out with. Because, see, like attracts like. And so I stayed with him because he could get the drugs the way I needed them. And he would do the same low-down, dirty things to get them that I would. I found myself on a road to total disaster. I had no feelings in my heart of compassion. I really, every once in a while when I was coming down off the drugs, I would feel like, gosh, I wish I could get my life together. But the bigger, more overwhelming feeling was, what, where can I get my hands on something to take away these feelings? And so I turned to one of the things that had been suggested to me and pushed on me, and that was prostitution. You know, my dad always gets really upset with me when I share about this. I, I was on the uh, 700 Club a couple years ago with Pat Robertson, and um, I really think Pat forgot we were on, <laughs> that we were on the platform because he was so enthralled. He was looking at me, and he kept saying to me, I can't in my mind connect that this woman sitting here is the same woman who was a prostitute. I, I can't, those things don't connect for me. And you know what? Look at that. Doesn't God clean us up good, baby? Look at that. I mean, come on, you would never know. I mean, I could have AIDS. I could have all my teeth gone. I could be tore up from the floor up, but I'm not because of God, because of God. But I'll tell you, that took a piece of my soul. That took a piece of my soul. Because, you know, I, and I said this before, but when you have sex outside of marriage, every time you have intercourse with another person, you leave a piece of your heart with that person. 
Whether you believe it or not, you do. And then what happens when you find the right person and you want to have a good marriage and a good relationship, you've got pieces of your heart all over Mechanicsville and Richmond and every Ocean City and Virginia Beach and wherever else you are. And let me tell you, you just can't go back and pick it up one by one. It takes years for that stuff to come back. So, so I'm, I was struggling with that. I was incarcerated. I got locked up for writing bad checks. And I can tell you, I walked in that place and I thought, well, I shouldn't be in here. Y'all got the wrong person. They put me in the back of that paddy wagon and I was kicking the back of the door. You got the wrong person. Because in my mind, I didn't think I was doing anything wrong. See, I convinced myself of that. Have you ever convinced yourself that what you're doing is right, that it's okay, that it's not hurting anybody? Has anybody in here ever convinced themselves that what they're doing is okay? Well, I'm here to tell you, it can hurt a lot of people. It can hurt a lot of people. I had four more unplanned pregnancies that resulted in abortion. Y'all, I was bankrupt. Oh, God, sometimes I think back and it brings me to tears because I think how my soul was hurting. How I didn't know what I needed, but I knew I needed something. I was homeless and I was hopeless, literally homeless. I lived on the streets of Washington, D.C. for 18 months just trying to survive, just going wherever I could to, to get something to eat, to, to take a shower, but mostly a place to go to get high so that I could escape. Because, see, it's a vicious cycle. What you do... What really blows my mind about that is the very thing that the enemy used to promote freedom in my life, those abortions was the very thing that kept me in spiritual bondage for years. The very thing that he told Eve was going to set her free and give her wisdom was the very thing that kept her in bondage for years. Look what it's done to us. Look what God has had. Jesus had to die on the cross. He had to die on the cross. He had to die a death, a horrible death, to set us free from a decision that was based on a feeling. It was based on a feeling. Feelings are powerful, y'all. They lie to you. Feelings aren't facts. But we can make them facts in our lives. You know, it's really hard to embrace your purpose when you're living in such great pain. You know, have you ever run into somebody and you look at them and you're like, gosh, They've got more potential than anybody I've ever seen. Why don't they just get on with their life? Why don't they stop doing what they're doing? Why can't they see what kind of a person they are? Why can't they believe that they're worth more than that? Because when you're in pain, your purpose is undercover. It's incognito. It's 10 feet under. See, you're just trying to get out of the pain. You're not thinking about a purpose. You're not thinking about what you can do to save the world. You're not thinking about helping somebody else. You're just like, man, i got to get out of where I am. I felt so ashamed. I felt so ashamed for what I had done. But more than that, I really felt ashamed for who I was. 
See, and that's the difference between guilt and shame. Guilt is having feelings about something you did. Shame is having feelings about who you are. And shame holds on, baby. Many of us spend our entire life hiding from this kind of turmoil, right? We just hide. Those secrets go way down. But you know, not only did Adam and Eve experience shame that day, they also experienced total separation from God. Their relationship with God was broken. And let me tell you, the only way The only way, and I have a lot of friends in here that will agree with me, the only way that you get true, authentic healing is to regain your relationship with God. There is no other way. There there is no other way. Listen, I was out there. I I knew I needed something. I really didn't understand what it was. But, you know, I remember open up the Bible to Psalm 18, and I'll tell you, if this does not describe how I felt, the ropes of death entangled me. Floods of destruction swept over me. The grave, the grave wrapped its ropes around me. Death laid a trap for me. But, but, I always love that word, but, In my distress, I called out to God. Yes, I cried out to God for help, and he heard me in his sanctuary. My cry reached his ears. And I'm telling you, that's why I can stand and I can cheer. That's why I can stand in the midst of adversity. Because God heard me. And not only does he hear me, he's no respecter of persons. If he hears me, baby, he will hear you in your darkest hour, in your deepest hole. No matter where you are, God hears you. You are never too far gone for God to hear your cry. Ever. You've never done anything too dirty, too shameful that God doesn't say, baby, I'm right here for you. Do you know in the book of Isaiah, it says that God collects your tears, that you, you, your picture is tattooed on his hands? I mean, a God that has you tattooed on his hands that every time he looks down, he sees you. It also says in Isaiah that he will give you a twofold recompense for your former shame. So, baby, he's going to give you double for your trouble. And I want to tell you something right now. I got way more back than double. Oh, I, got, I can't even tell you how much the Lord has given me back. But God, but God. But I want to tell you, I tried everything on my own. I mean, I tried everything that there was. And believe me, if there was a way, I would have found it. I was the queen at finding a way. Y'all know people like that? They always, seem to, they always seem to find a way out of their mess, right? That was me. I mean, I was so good at it. I tried just drinking beer. I tried not going to bars. I tried staying away from people. I tried new relationships. I mean, I moved to Florida. I moved to Pennsylvania. I moved to New York City. I moved all over the place, a geographic cure. But the problem is, wherever you go, there you are. Right? And let me tell you something about jail. 
You know, a lot of people get upset when their kids or their loved ones, you know, have to go. They get incarcerated. They go to jail. For me, honey, jail was the best thing that ever happened to me because it got me off the streets. It got me cleaned up, and it was the thing that led to the thing that led to the thing that led to the thing, okay? It put me in a situation where I was protected from people, places, and things. And for the first time in, I don't know, 14, 15 years, I was sober I say I was, I was dry for an entire year. I had never gone that long without drinking and drugging. And I'll tell you, you want to talk about being scared. I wasn't scared about the people that were in there with me. I was scared of my own self. I was scared of my own thoughts. But let me tell you, the, this mind here is something. I'll tell you that. The mind of an addict is a heartbreaking riddle. Let me just tell you that. Because you know what I did? I got out of jail. I, walked, I met my pimp boyfriend. I walked across the street to the pizza hut. I drank a pitcher of beer. I wrote a bad check. And I was back at the crack house in two hours. Now tell me. You have to say, Lisa, what in the world? Well, y'all heard. You, you heard. Yes, I met God. Yes, I knew God was there. But I wasn't doing anything to engage with God. You know, God's not a sugar daddy sitting up in the sky. He's not the great magician, okay? He's not waiting to just, oh, I'm going to do this for you, and I'm going to do this for you. He wants relationship. He wants to know, baby, do you love me? Because, honey, I love you. And so what I realized was that I had been remorseful, but I was not repentant. And there's a big difference between those two words. Remorse is a feeling of regret. Usually it's, I'm sorry I got caught. It's a a feeling of being sorry for something that you've done. Repentance is an action or a process. It's a true heart change. Remorse doesn't take responsibility for its actions. Remorse is temporary. Remorse is self-seeking. And remorse keeps things hidden. See, I'm sorry, but I'm not going to tell you what I really did. I'm sorry. How many of you have people in your life that have a strong addiction, and you wonder how many times can one person tell you they're sorry? And you know what? They, they, they mean it at the moment. But the deal is, what are you willing to do about it? What, where are you willing to go with it? Without recognition of uh, uh, some sins become strongholds in our life. See, if we don't recognize and look at some of the things that are going on, they become strongholds. They start to control us, okay? About nine months into my sobriety, I had been going to 12-step meetings, and I was clean, um, And I thought I was doing great. I mean, you know, I had my life back. I had a car. I was taking a shower every day. I I, I think I even had a ring or a piece of jewelry at the time. I mean, I really thought things were going well for me. And, you know, they they were better than they had been the previous 15 years. But make no mistake about it, it was just an imposter. It was just that thread. See, the enemy weaves that web, and he weaves it and uses a lot of different colored thread, okay? A lot of it looks one way, but it's really the other. So about nine months into my sobriety, I headed out to work just like any other day. I got a call from an old friend who contacted me that wanted to meet to talk. After work, we met at a restaurant, 
And my intentions were to order a Diet Coke. I swear, that, that, that was my intention. I was going to talk and go home. It was Friday, and I had plans to go away with my new boyfriend for the weekend. So the waitress walked up, and she said, what can I get you? And he said, I'll, order, uh, I'll have a, a Jack and Soda, and I'll have a kamikaze on the rocks flew out of my mouth. I mean, it, just, it, just, it, just, it just came right out of my mouth. And look, I was tremendously familiar with the consequences that were going to follow, okay? I knew this was a poor choice. I knew the shame it would bring, but I did it anyway. And for all you people that think drugs and alcohol, oh, I can have a drink. Uh, let me tell you something. That was one drink. And guess where I ended up? At the crack house. Nine months of sobriety, one drink, and I was back at the crack house. And I stayed there all weekend long. In the same dress I left for work for on Friday morning. I'd like to read the rest of this story from an excerpt from my book, This Is Your Life, Not a Dress Rehearsal. And I think when I'm done, you'll understand why I had to read it. By Sunday morning, I had lost everything good and positive that had been gained over the last nine months. My paycheck, my savings account, my jewelry, and worst of all, my dignity. I was totally bankrupt, physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. The worst thing was yet to come. I had to make the call, the dreaded call that would end yet another relationship, destroy another home, and leave me to my own sick demise. He answered immediately, are you all right? I was so exhausted after being up 48 straight hours that I said, no, I'm not all right. I got high, and I need you to come and get me. Tell me where you are, and I'll be right there, he said. Minutes later, he pulled up in his black Chevy blazer, reaching across and swinging open the door. Get in. This is it, I thought. Same stuff, different day. Brace yourself, Lisa. And prepare yourself for the barrage of obscenities and degrading remarks that will be thrown your way. See, I had done this before. I got into the car in the same dress that I had worn to work on Friday morning. And without hesitation, oh, can I get through this? Without hesitation, Tom put his arms around me and he said, Lisa, what can I do to help you? I love you. And I don't want you to live like this. Tears rushed down my face. Confusion hit my mind. And a total shift in the atmosphere took place. I was like, what did he just say? Never in my life. Y'all, I'm telling the truth when I say this. Never in my life did anyone ever ask if they could help me. Never. Usually it was, what's wrong with you? Or you're a sick crackhead. Pack your stuff and leave. Or you whore. I don't deserve somebody like this in my life. Why are you doing this to me? When someone did offer assistance, there was always an ulterior motive. Raping me of my worth and self-esteem. At that moment, hear me when I say this. At that moment... I knew there was a God, the God that had been spoken of in the rooms of recovery, a higher power that loved me so unconditionally that he sent this man to express it. 
my whole world changed that Sunday morning, the fifth day of April, 1991. And that September, we got married, and we've been married for 28 years. You see, that was the day I realized that there was a God and that he loved me. True repentance, it empowers you and it helps you to comprehend redemption. When you repent, when you say, I'm sorry and I'll do whatever I have to do, I'll make amends, I'll go to meetings, I'll get on the floor, I'll cry out to you, I'll do whatever I have to do, but I need you, God. And I don't know what it is you got, but I got. I want more of whatever it is. I'll never be able to thank God for his mercy and his grace for restoring my life in an incredible way. With redemption, you experience restoration. He gave me a wonderful husband. He gave me two amazing children who, by the way, are sober, who don't drink, and who are following and walking with the Lord. You see, you can break those chains. You can break those generational curses. You can do that. You live your life. Your your life is a huge example for other people. But make no mistake, okay? You know, I get the opportunity to go around and to... I, I, I talk and I've, I've been working with Department of Corrections for 10 years and I go into um, 10 different prisons in the state and I bring a reentry seminar and I get to talk to some of the most hopeless people that you would ever encounter and some of the most heinous criminals in our state. But you know, it's so amazing. I mean, when you strip away all the stuff that's on the outside, their pain. So much like ours. And I'm so grateful that I get to go in and I get to talk to people who are so hungry for change. Because it keeps me hungry for change. You know, I get to go across the country and speak at pregnancy center fundraising galas. I share my story to help them raise money so other women don't have to go through abortions and feel the pain that I did and that babies can live. I mean... I get to work with people in recovery that are just beginning this walk. I mean, are you kidding me? Look at what God has done. I mean, if, if, if I wrote all the things that God has allowed me to do because of him saving my life, it would blow y'all's mind. It blows my mind. And I don't mean that out of ego. I mean, where do you get somebody that used to stand on the street corner selling her body for $25 for a rock of crack cocaine and end up speaking at Liberty University at convocation instead of in front of 12,000 kids? Come on, that ain't nothing but Jesus. You can tell me it's a big spirit in the sky. I don't care what you say, but for me, baby, it is J-E-S-U-S. He saved my soul. You weren't there when he came and wrapped his arms around me. You weren't there the night that I thought I was dying. You weren't there when I sat on the corner and I said, if you're real, God, do something in my life. Do something. You know, make no mistake about it, though, the enemy... 
is always there to assassinate you. Always there to assassinate you. And just because you got over one goal and just because you're living your life, look, it's like an onion. You peel away the skin and, honey, there's another skin there. Wait, just so thin. But when you go through things, you become strong. You become a warrior. You're able to fight. You've got your weapons. And most of all, you know who God is. And when he says he's going to do something, I don't care what it looks like. He will come after you in the darkest hour, and he will find you. In closing, I want to tell you uh, just a a few things. When I talk about, about... the enemy coming after you. Many of you know my daughter Lily is here today. My daughter had a liver transplant three years ago. And guess what? She's never drank a drink. I drank my whole life and there isn't anything wrong with my liver. She endured a liver transplant, was doing well. And in these last two months, she had to have some procedures done and she was in the hospital. She's been in the hospital an entire month. And she's 25 years old. She's ready to live her life. And she's been in pain. And I don't know how many nights I just cried out to God. And I'm like, why? Why? Why is it her? Why is she going through this? Why don't you do something? And you know what he did? He brought people to undergird me. I have, I have a, a prayer team that is absolutely amazing. I have women who send me messages constantly. I have a friend here who has been sending me messages every day for 12 years because I led him to the Lord. I have people in my life. God loves me and he will search you out and he will find you and he will bring his promises to fruition. So as we go into this time, I just wonder, how many of you have been hiding things? And hiding things that you just want to get rid of. How many of you want to know this Jesus in this way that other people do? How many of you feel that you've done something that is so bad? That he'll never, ever love you the way he loves somebody else. How many of you are scared that you'll never know this Jesus? How many of you are, there's people who are embarrassed to love Jesus. Listen, I don't care what it is, but he is here today. I mean, you guys, if you, don't, if you don't see Jesus after hearing my story, I mean, what kind of a person can stand on a platform on Sunday morning and tell all her stuff like that unless she's been healed? I mean, come on. You think I'm going to come up here and tell you that stuff if you can still use it on me? God wants you. He wants you. He wants all of you. He wants you to let it go. He wants you to, to, to trust him. I ask you, if you need prayer... If you feel that the Lord has abandoned you, if you feel that you need help in any way, this is the time to do it. Come to the altar and talk to the Lord. Are you struggling with addiction? 
Yeah, you know, here's the thing. When I say that, nobody's like, well, I ain't going up there because then they're going to know. You know what? If you can't tell us in here, you'll never be able to get rid of it out there. We love you. We love you. We want, we, we want to pray for you. Jesus loves you. He's got a plan for your life. This altar is open. I want to pray with you. I want to ask God to do for you what he did for me. I want to ask God, do, do you, are you longing for a mate, a godly mate? I want to pray for you. And I'm going to ask God to give you what he gave me. Are you hurting inside and nobody knows? Oh, today's your day. Today's your day. Today is your day to say, God, I don't know what tomorrow brings, but I know right now all I can live is in this moment, and I'm going to give it all to you. I want more of you and less of me. Come, come, I want to pray with you. Stand with me all over this house. Come on, this altar's open. We need to step out from where we are. Come on, some of you need healing. Some of you need a touch of the Lord. Just step out from where you are. Would you come? Come on. Come on. God wants to restore you. God wants to break those chains. God wants to set you free. Some of you need to remember your testimony. You need to remember where God brought you from. God, I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful. Come on, why don't you step out from where you are. Let him know how much you love him. Recommit yourself. It was amazing grace. Come on, God's grace is here. He's here to heal. He's here to restore. You don't have to be bound. Come on. You don't have to be held hostage. Come on, the healer's here today. Yes, yes, yes. But now I see. Come on, that's it. Hallelujah. Oh, it was amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved. He's here to restore. 